Okay, Second Kings chapter. Second Kings chapter number two. And yeah, welcome everyone to the to the Ark. Um, Ark stands for a radical church. We are twenty years old, and um, God has been good and gracious to us. Um, Second Kings chapter two, and. I don't want to read the whole lot. Um, I just want to read a little piece. In fact, let me just read from verse 1. And it came to pass that when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came to Elisha, said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he says, I know it, but just hold your peace. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elijah and said, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from your head today? And he says, yeah, I know it, but hold your peace. Keep silent. And Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But he says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood face to face, uh, said facing at a distance, while the two of them stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and divided it this way and that way, so that the two of them went and crossed on dry land. And so it was that when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elijah, ask now what you will and I'll do it for you. He says, because I'm going to be taken up. And he says, please give me a double portion of your spirit. Let it be upon me. So he says, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be as it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So it happened as they continued. Everyone say, as they continued. That they, as they continued and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and the horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in the whirlwind to heaven. And Elijah saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. So he saw him no more and he took a hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two. And he took up the mantle that was upon Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of Jordan. Father, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to talk about and just use this as a title, my father, my father. And what I'd really like to share in terms of is my experience with my pastor, my spiritual father. I want to talk about that. I want to go towards that. But before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about this relationship between Elijah and Elisha, and a little bit between Paul and Timothy, because in my opinion, 
those two relationships really gives us a real good glimpse of what spiritual fathering and sons look like. Generally, when guys, and it happens often, people come to me in our congregation, they say, I want you to mentor me, or I want you to, you know, speak into my life, I want you to just help me. I will always say to them, look, I am a busy man, I'm about the Lord's business, if, you're gonna, if, I'm gonna, if this is going to happen well, then you're going to have to be like Elisha. And I always refer back to this passage that you're going to have to stick to me like glue, because I'm always moving, and I'm on the work of I'm on the work of the Lord. And and actually, if we're going to form a relationship, it's going to be around the work of the Lord, because that's my life, and that's where you're going to have to follow me. And sometimes people they they can't keep up, you know. Um, they start off they start off and then they drift off, and then sometimes they get hurt because they think like you've rejected them or you've neglected them, or you're not there for them. But I'll say, you know what, I, I haven't changed. I've, I'm still about the work of the Lord. And if we're going to have a relationship, it's always going to be around the work of the Lord. Amen. And so I want to come back to Elijah for a minute, but I want to talk about this relationship between Paul and Timothy, um, because it's a New Testament pattern. Um, it's a New Testament pattern of fathering. And obviously, um, when I first got saved, one of the scriptures that was said quite a bit was um, Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, which says, call no man father. Okay, how many heard that passage? Yeah, call no man father. So for a long period of time, like for me, if you're talking about um, Catholicism or that, whether you father such and such, I'm like, that's not biblical. Um, early years of ministry, it would be the same thing. If someone wants to be like, you're my father, I'd be like, nah, the Bible says, call no man father. But as many years ago, I looked at the passage in Matthew chapter 23 and had an understanding of the passage. Because Jesus starts off in Matthew 23 by saying, he says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. He says, he says but do what they teach, but don't do as they do. So they, they are... They are an authority in the law and the prophets, and they do teach it, but their practice doesn't match what they teach. So I want you to listen to what they teach, but don't practice what they practice. Does everyone understand it? And then he goes into detail about the scribes and the Pharisees, and then he's almost like Jesus going into detail on their pride. They love to sit in the best seat. They love to be paraded in the marketplace and be called big names. And so he, he's describing an attitude in Matthew chapter 23 of the, the scribes and the Pharisees of before he goes into don't call any man father. Actually, he, he not only says don't call any man father, but if you look in there, he says don't call any man rabbi. He says don't call any man father. And he says don't call anyone um, that's the rabbi, don't call anyone master, okay? So he says, don't call anyone teacher. He says, don't call anyone father, don't call anyone um, master. Because you have one God and you have one teacher who is God. So now it's not a prescriptive, it's not prescriptive to say, don't call anyone father. Because obviously we call our natural fathers father. 
But he was more talking about the attitude. The attitude. Because when I go into my relationship with my pastor, I'm going to tell you, there was never a time when I called him my spiritual father. Never a time. There was never a time he said to me, you are my spiritual son. And there was never a time he said, I said to him, you are my spiritual father. But our relationship was father and son. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Um, we, we had a father and son relationship. And I'll talk about the dynamics of that relationship and how that developed. So I'm beyond that calling someone. Um, I think it's cool. It's, it's not what Jesus was saying. It's talking about... It's not like you shouldn't have a seat for your pastor, but the pastor shouldn't want to have that seat. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not like you shouldn't call the pastor pastor, but he shouldn't need and want to have to be called it. Is someone understanding? So it's the same with what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 23. So Paul, if, if Jesus meant don't call anyone your father, then obviously, then Paul has got something wrong with Timothy because he's constantly saying that I am Timothy's father and Timothy is my son. So hasn't Paul listened to Jesus? So look at some of the things that Paul said about Timothy. He said, to, he said of Timothy in, chap, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have no man like-minded who will truly care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things of the Lord, but you know the proof of him, that as a child serves a father, so he has served me in the fervorance of the gospel. Amen? He says, I've got no man like-minded. So if, you know, we're asking, how do I, how do I identify those who are my spiritual sons? This will be one of them, like-mindedness. Like-mindedness. See, a true son is... Wondering what's, how is his father thinking? So if I reflect back to my relationship with my pastor, when I was serving my pastor, I was always considering how is he thinking? What's my pastor's thought on this? I have one of my, um, one of our pastors, she's at one of our other branches, but she's like one of the most fantastic disciples. She got saved there, got saved out of um, Sikhism. Um, God miraculously healed her. But what I've noted with her, if she doesn't know my mind on something, how I would deal with something, she will always, before she deals with it, she'll give me a call to get my mind on it and how I would deal with it. Do you understand? Because a true son is always wanting to be like-minded with his father. And he's not wanting to have his own mind because he knows that creates division. So one of the ways you identify people that you would call a son is someone that is beginning to think the way you think. And if someone is thinking the way you think, then you'll start to hear them speak the way you speak. Their, their words will be in alignment with you. And I'm telling you, when you have a church where you've got and it's not like you ever want to. I, know, I don't want to pastor a church where you stop people thinking. Because that would be terrible. That, that's witchcraft, right? You want people to be able to think. But it's a terrible thing when you have a church where you have different people saying different things. And what they are saying is contrary to what the pastor would say. To what the leaders will say. So then you have a church where you've got all different people speaking. 
And they're all speaking contrary to the father of the house. And then you have a church that's divided. It's wonderful. I'm telling you, it's beautiful. I remember when I would get up to speak, I would always think it right to quote my pastor. Do you understand? Pastor Mac would say, because that's what Jesus would say. He would be quoting. And any student would always be quoting their masters. My master would say, do you get what I'm saying? And it's the like-mindedness. Touch your neighbor and say like-mindedness. So Paul says, I have no man who is like-minded. What's he talking about? He's talking about, he's saying, Timothy is not like the other guys. Timothy, he thinks about the affairs of other people. He's just like me. I can rely on him that he's not self-absorbed. He's not selfish. He's always going to be selfless. He's just like how I would be. That's my son. And I am God. Paul says, I don't have many like that. So I think actually spiritual sons is a rare thing to get a true son. Because if the apostle Paul, in my opinion, was a great spiritual father, he says, I don't have many of these. But Timothy is one of them. Amen? And the reason for that is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. He says this of Timothy. He says this to Timothy. He says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my teaching. You have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, persecutions, afflictions would happen to me while I was at Antioch. He says, Paul, he says, Timothy, you have carefully examined and followed my teaching. So if you're here and you're thinking you want to have, and who is your spiritual father if you're wondering and wondering, does my spiritual father know who I am? He says to Timothy, Timothy, I've, I've observed your life and I realize that you carefully Follow the things that I teach. And that's how I know you're a son. He says, and Timothy, I've, I've observed you and I realize you know my manner of life. You know what he's saying to him there? When I just got saved, I wanted to go to a particular big evangelist um, crusade uh, uh, outreach. He was coming into Wembley and I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, I've heard that this particular American guy is coming over. I want to go. I was just saved then. My pastor says, no, I don't think you should go. And I couldn't understand why he didn't want me to go to a meeting, a spiritual meeting. And, and so I questioned, I said, why? And he says, you know, you'll, you'll understand later on. Um, they had a way of saying it back then. It was like, you will follow, if you follow on to know, you will know. Basically, you won't understand now, but later on you'll understand. But I, I didn't understand. Why wouldn't you want me to go? And then he said something. He said, he said Peter, he said, bro, Peter, you've you got to understand this. When you are sick and in hospital, these guys will not be there in the hospital. He says, when you want to get married, they will not be there to do your marriage. And he went for a list of stuff, and I still didn't get it. But later on, I got to understand what he was saying. And what he was saying is this. You've got a lot of people, mainly British people, we do this a lot. We big up these guys, these people that we see on TV. 
but you don't know their manner of life. You see their teaching, you see them in the pulpit, but you don't know how they live. But what my pastor was saying to me then, he's saying, you see my manner of life. You watch how I live. You see how I treat my wife. You see how I treat my children. You see how I spend my money. You see how, but you don't see the life of these people. Do you understand what I'm saying to you guys? So a true son, a father is exposed to his children. My children see me at home. My spiritual children should see me and know my manner of life and know how I live. And so I would encourage you, study if you have, if your pastor is or whoever's your spiritual, study his manner of life. Not just his preaching, but his life. Amen? He says, you know my purpose. Everyone shout purpose. How, how would you know someone's purpose? You have to really, really be following them carefully to understand what's motivating and driving that person and reading what's on their heart. And that's how close that relationship gets. Amen? He says, you know my purpose. He says, you know my manner of life. You know my doctrine. You follow it carefully, Timothy. He says, you see my faith. You see my long suffering. You see me suffering long. You see my perseverance. What's he saying here? He's saying, you've not just watched me on a pulpit, but you've seen how I've had to endure stuff. You've seen me when I've got frustrated. And you've seen me when I've had to say, you know what, Lord, help me here. So you get a whole picture of my life. Amen? This, this was the relationship that Paul was sharing with Timothy. And as Pastor Joe says, um, Paul says, you don't, you've got many instructors. You've got many teachers. Lots of people teaching you different things. But you do not have many fathers. You don't have many fathers that you can see their life. Generally, you don't see. The, I actually... Um, read somewhere that when a rabbi would have a student that was sitting at his feet, like Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel to learn, I heard that these, these students, what they call disciples, which is what we are supposed to be, they would not just sit at their feet just to hear them teaching, but they would be observing everything that that rabbi did. They would watch how he drank his tea. They, 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 there's even a saying that said this, that some of these rabbis would try and hide and try and observe their rabbi. Sorry, the disciple would try and observe their rabbi with their wife. You can read into it. Because the pupil, the disciple is always wanting to be like the master. Do you get that? He's always wanting to be like the master in not just his doctrine, but his manner of life and everything that he does. That's why it's vitally important that we don't just preach great, but we live good. Amen? I remember asking a great preacher one time, we, it was a group of us got around him and says, who are the 
good preachers in America. He's an American preacher. Who are the good, this is the young days, who are the good preachers in America? And I'll never forget his answer because it was so good. He said, good preachers. Well, he said, well, you see, there's a difference between, I'm trying to do his voice, a good preacher and good preaching. He said, because I've heard some good preaching, but the preacher's not good. <laughs> and then he said, I've, I've seen some good preachers that don't preach too good. So he says, so it depends on what you mean by good preachers. At the time, you know, when you're young, you absorb. But later on, I understand. You get what he means, right? It's not just the good preaching, but it's the life, the manner of life, the way he lives. Amen? For me, it's not what I teach my kids. It's not what I've taught them, read to them, shared with them over the years. But I realize it's actually it's how I've lived amongst my children, whether they're going to be honoring me when they grow up, how they've watched me how I've treated Karis, their mother, how they've observed how I have been, whether I've been generous financially to them. That's going to make the difference. I'll forget, they'll forget everything that I've taught verbally, but they will watch my life and how I've lived. And that's how the relationship works. Amen? But, you know, I want to read that 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I don't know if, Dex, you've got that in the message up there, or you can put it up on the message. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 in the message, I want to listen to it if, it's not, if it doesn't go up, but listen to how in the message Bible it says, I'm not writing all this as, as a neighborhood scold just to make you feel rotten. He says, I'm writing as a father to you, my children. He says, I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. He says, there are lots of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and the effort to help you grow up. Isn't that powerful? He says, it was just as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything. I'm already doing myself. So I'm not telling you to do stuff that I'm not willing to do. He says, this is why I sent Timothy to you earlier. He is also my dear son and a true and true to the master. He will refresh your memory on the instructions I regularly gave all the churches on the way of Christ. I trust Timothy that he can represent me well because he knows my thoughts and he knows my heart. He says, I know that there are some among you who are so full of themselves. They never listen to anyone, let alone me. They don't think I'll ever show up in person. But I'll be there sooner than you think. I love the way the message puts it. It says, God willing, and then we'll see if they're, if they're, if, if they're full of anything but hot hair. God's way is not a matter of mere talk. But it's an empowered life. So, how should I prepare to come to you 
as a severe disciplinarian who makes you toe the mark or as a good friend and counselor who wants to share heart to heart with you? You decide. So ask yourself the question, because sometimes people mistake. They don't get it. They think, maybe if you've experienced abusive fathers and your father at home, that's why I don't like my children. If you're a daddy, I don't know if you're the same. I don't like my wife saying, wait till your dad gets home. Because it makes me look like I'm just the bad cop. And that when I come home, it's just always discipline. I don't like that, you know. I mean, there is a way she can say it, but I just I don't like you saying that. Just say, me and your dad will deal with this when he gets home. I don't like to be the bad one, you know. But Paul is saying here, he's saying, some of you, you've mistaken me. You, you, you haven't got me. Because I'm not a disciplinarian and because I'm not rough and because I'm not hardline on you, you don't see me as a father. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm gentle among you, but you, you, you don't see that as a father. You've, you've missed it. And I do think, in my ministry even, people miss it. Because whatever they're looking for, they're looking for some hardline, always correcting kind of father, then they're going to miss me. There will be a time I'll have to do that, but that's not my natural Wait, that's not how I am with my kids. Do you get what I'm saying to you? I'm not always, there's times when I do have to discipline them, but that's not my natural disposition. I do think sometimes in churches, pastors take that disposition, that they're always correcting, always admonishing, and, and I just feel like with me, how I am at home, I'm playing with my kids. 90% of the time, we're playing, and we're chatting, we're friends. Amen. Does everyone understand me there? So let me just give you a couple of things and, um, about my relationship with my pastor. So come back to my physical father. My dad and my mom was married for 60 years. So my dad was always in my life. They both passed away in the last four years. But my dad was always in my life. But my dad didn't play a fathering role in my life. He's always been there, but never played a fathering role in my life. And so when I got to a teenage, I began to look up to guys on the street for fathering. These are guys that became my mentors, but unfortunately, all those guys were criminals. And so I was aspiring not to be like my dad, but these guys on the street, which were all criminals. And so that's the way I went. Ended me up in prison, but that's where I found Jesus and got saved. But that's another story. But so I don't, I don't feel like I have been nurtured by a father in my life until I became born again. When I got saved and I came into our church in Bethnal Green, Pastor McFarlane, it's like God put a male in my life, a man in my life, and I would watch him. And something inside of me says, I want to be like him. This was the first time there was a positive man that I looked up to that became a hero, someone that I wanted to emulate, someone I wanted to be like, someone I would ask tons of questions to, and I felt like was invested in me. He's the one that pushed me and said, go to Bible school. He's the one that was encouraged me. He saw things inside of me and he developed the gifts inside of me. He encouraged the gift. And I just wanted to, 
I wanted to, to relieve him of everything that he was doing so that he could do other things better. So that was my first ministry. When I got saved, the church was about 35 people then. My pastor was the one that was putting that chairs and cleaning the hall. I said, Pastor, you don't have to do that anymore. I will do that. I took, that was my first ministry, cleaning the church, putting that the chairs. It wasn't preaching in a pulpit. Nowadays, these guys, they, that's the first thing they want. They want the pulpit. I had one guy who was here who was like, I don't understand why you're not letting me preach. I said, that's why. (laughs) And so I began to develop a relationship with Pastor Mac where wherever he was going and preaching, I I would go along with him. And in my lunch break, I'll just find myself down at the church. He used to have an elderly project I'd help him out. I'd get to know him. He became like a good, close relationship where he could speak into my life. And he was the one that could tell me to shut up. Now, I was thinking about this as I was preparing. There was another guy in my church who was my good, good, good friend. He before me was that person that was with my pastor. But something happened in that relationship that I think he kind of had a little season of backsliding. Then when he came back, he was always trying to find that place but could never find it again. It was almost like an Esau thing. But interestingly, he became my friend. Now, beforehand, when this guy would preach, everyone would say to him, you sound just like Pastor Mac. The way he would walk, the way he would dress would be just like the pastor. But then he had this season and lost that and then could never find that relationship back with Pastor Mac. And it was really interesting to see that dynamic. Could never get it back. He lost something. And in that meantime, I really grew. And and my pastor was like my father was trusting me. So he was wanting the best for me. So he was always pushing me out. Now there was another guy in the church who was there longer than me, but felt like, um, what time do I need to done? What time, what time did I start? Huh? Five minutes more. Jesus, Lord. Okay. Forget that guy, right? (laughs) Huh? No, no, no. Well, well, this guy, one time I went to, to Bible school and I went to say hello, praise the Lord of him. That's how we greeted each other back then. Do you remember? Praise the Lord. And he, he turned his back on me. So I thought, I was so naive. I got Scott saved. Everyone were angels in church. So I thought he didn't see me. I was naive. It's good to stay naive, but I'm not naive anymore. All right? So I went around the side and, like, and he turned his back. And I still like, didn't get it. He was actually rejecting me. And so... Someone else came and he gave him a big hug and then I realized, ah, he's not talking to me. And it's interesting, I mean, I'm coming from the streets. Like I'm saying, I'm coming from gangs, I've been shot at, been stabbed in the chest. And there's a guy not saying praise the Lord and he makes me cry. (laughs) I don't get it. You get softened when you get saved or something. But I just remember just running out, running out of this church thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? I thought this was it. I thought I was in heaven. I thought everyone in the church was like, just good. It was my first encounter. Do you know what I mean? 
my first encounter. So it was a few brothers that had to pray with me for one hour. And I got up from that saying, never again. But what was interesting later on, what I found out is that this particular guy was in the church for a long time. He wanted to be a preacher. He felt like, why is pastor pushing me up and ignoring him? So his rejection of me was a state, was a feeling of like he's been neglected. He's not being raised up. But the thing is, he didn't build any relationship with my pastor. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Um, he just didn't invest no time, but maybe just wanted Bishop, my pastor, to push him up. But I, I really think the key, what we've been saying here, is it's all in the relationship, isn't it? So guys, what I wanted to share with you on that relationship, because I had a tight, tight, good relationship. So when I, when I got married, before I would even ask my wife to marry me, I would talk to my pastor first. Pastor, I've met someone, my heart's fluttering. And I would get his perspective before I would go on. Before I went to St. Lucia as a missionary for five years, I said, Pastor, I feel God's calling me here. What do you think? He says, I'm right behind you, son. Before we started this church, I was looking to go to, to Cannon Town. I went to my pastor. I said, I feel God's the same part. He said, no. I listened to him. Then I came back. I said, I think it's Old Street. He said, no. It's too close to Bethnal Green. His church. His church. <laughs> But when I said Stratford and I told, shared with him the dream God gave me, he said, yeah, and he's right. And I, so I, I didn't move without his relationship. But here's what something happened interesting. I just felt I wanted to share this with you. When we started this church, I started with another couple. And that guy was from the same church that I was from. Now, back then, they believed that when you went out and pre, when you went out and started a church, you went by yourself because they started by themselves. So you should start. It's not like you said, your son should start climbing your shirt. No, they felt like we suffered, you should suffer. So, now that was the philosophy. We suffered, you should suffer. So when, my, when this brother went to my pastor and said, Brother Peter's going out and he feels the Lord is saying, he's to come with me. My pastor said no to him. But he really felt like the Lord was sending him with me. And so I remember going into a meeting with my pastor, with this guy, and talking it through. But my pastor said, no, it ain't going to happen. But this guy really felt like the Lord would have it that way. But in the end, what he did, he still came, and we started together. And I'm just saying this to you. I don't know what to make of it. But that affected my relationship with my pastor, still to this day, 20 years later. Something just broke based on that. To this day, um, I'll share with Pastor Joe, like, I, I want to take him to lunch, just to lunch. But he's, he won't make me take him to lunch. And it, it really hurts. Do, do, uh, do you mind me sharing with you my, yeah? Because I'm talking about a real relationship here. It really hurts. I, I've, I've invited him here because I'm, I'm inviting him to come and preach here because I would want our church to, for him to see all of his grandchildren. I want to bless him financially, but he turns me down all the time. So if you don't mind, Pastor Joe, when I'm sharing Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe is saying, you've got to take him an offering. But I'm like, I don't want to pay for any relationship. 
I just feel like I don't want to buy a relationship. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, now I get, no, I know you don't. I understand the principles. Honestly, I understand the principle of honoring. But I don't feel like I want to buy anyone's love. I know you said that already. But it feels that way to me. Because for me, well, it's kind of like, yeah, anyway. But, so I've said to Joe, like, I'm at this place now where, you know what? I love him so much because he's the only pastor I've ever had that I don't want to ever not like him. I don't want to ever dishonor him. I don't want to ever have any bad thoughts about him. So it's better for me to just leave it alone. Do you get what I'm saying? Because I always want to honor him. I value that the fact that as an 18-year-old, I came in as as an ex-drug addict, ex-gang member, ex-prisoner, with nothing, and how that man nurtured, poured into my life, built a, a strong relationship. And uh, guys, I read that scripture in, uh, in Elisha and Elijah because it was that. That's what happened. I followed him to Gilgal, to Jericho, to Jordan, wherever he was. I wouldn't leave his side to develop that bond, that relationship, so that actually when Elijah went up, Elisha could say, my father... My father. Now, what the difference is, those sons of the prophets that was there saying to Elisha, and I, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but see, they were just sons, biological sons of prophets. This was something different that Elisha had, that he, what he had with Elijah, because he was not his biological father. These guys were there by right of birth. You know, my dad's a prophet, so I'm going to the prophet school because I'm going to be a prophet. This is something different that's happening here between Elijah and Elijah. This is a spiritual bond. So I want to encourage you guys in terms of the father and the son relationship. It's all in about proximity. It's about building that closeness and being able to look into the life of that person and see their living, seeing in life. You won't get this just on a Sunday morning. This, this is sharing life together. This is getting intimate into someone's life and saying, I want to be with you. See, when we're on that drive in that car, we talk, we share, you hear my heart about stuff. Stuff that I couldn't even say in a preaching because of the mixed multitude of the congregation. I might say in my car and you'll catch something that other people don't catch. My father. My father. This is our Timothy. I'm feeling a bit emotional here. Like, <laughs> goodness. We just stand on our feet for a minute, just for a minute. My father, my father. If Elijah was here right now, he'd be saying to Elijah, Thank you for showing me your life. Thank you for showing me the Gilgal experience of your life place of healing the Jericho 
section of your life, the Jordan section, for opening your heart, show me your manner of life, allow me to build a relationship with you. Pouring out and dropping your mantle upon my life. I can become. We just lift your hands to heaven right now. Just, I think... Joe saying we all need this in our life I'm going to open for questions in a minute but if there's time but just lift your hands to heaven and say God give me that deep Sibalaba Hayele Mahando Barusha Badiandidia Sayana 